Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. Today is a little bit different of an episode. We have Dallas on the podcast. She is going to share about her birth story and then um, kind of about how her birth story drove her into her career and her passion behind it. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your story and what you do and all of your knowledge with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay. So starting off, I guess, tell us like what your title is and what you do currently. Yeah, so in Alberta, Canada, I am a registered psychologist, and I have been working with trauma for about 13 years, all types of trauma. So I do see a lot of clients who've had birth trauma or postpartum trauma, um, along with all other types of trauma as well. Um, And so uh, talking about my birth trauma experience, um, it's kind of interesting, I felt, because I thought with all my trauma knowledge that I would be a little bit immune to birth trauma. um, And that definitely wasn't the case. Um, And that sort of led me into developing a course for doulas and birth professionals around trauma, which I can talk more about probably at the end. Yeah, that's awesome. So you were already working in trauma before you had your, your birth, had your children. Um, and then that kind of, did that make you like pivot? I mean, I'm assuming yes, but more specifically working with like birth trauma and, um, more so working with like birth professionals to prevent birth trauma. Yes, exactly. So, you know, going through my birth experience, the the one thing that I always ask my clients is what did you need instead? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, was working through my own trauma and asked myself that question. And the answer that I came up with was that I really needed a doula who had trauma expertise. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of where this idea of developing a course around trauma, teaching birth professionals about, about how to prevent and heal birth trauma um, sort of came from. Um, and I think it would have made a world of difference to have that in my birth. I, I totally agree. I mean, even I love being on the doula side of things so much more than I loved being on the nursing side, because as a nurse, you know, there's a million competencies that they make us take, but, um, I don't recall trauma ever being one of them. And if it was, it definitely obviously wasn't very extensive or, um, you know, it, it didn't stick with me much. So mm-hmm. birth trauma is for sure a thing as a doula I see it so much more because as a nurse I would clock in and clock out and never see these people again these mothers again and as a doula now I'm there with my clients every step of the way I have a totally different viewpoint than I did when I was a a, a delivery nurse and I see them afterwards so I, I I see birth trauma even even when I'm hired by a client I hate to say that I want all my clients to walk away from their birth with no trauma feeling empowered and educated and like they made the decisions on what happened to them and their body and their baby but sometimes they still Mm -hmm. leave with a little bit of birth trauma. And I see so much more of that um, now as a nurse. So this honestly was perfect timing because I've said this in previous episodes of the podcast, people probably think I'm a broken record with the things that I repeat, (laughs) but as a nurse, I was so brainwashed into the saying of healthy mom and healthy baby. Mm. That is like the slogan of hospitals in America. And 
as a nurse, I was like, you know what, whatever happens to you, all that matters at the end is that you're Mm -hmm. in the bed breathing and the baby's in the bassinet breathing, healthy mom, healthy baby. That's what matters. And now as a doula, I hate that when I go to the hospitals Mm -hmm. and they say that I'm irritated. I'm like, that's not true. It's they're so people are so brainwashed into that. And, um, that's not true. How you get, how you get from A to B matters. That journey Mm -hmm. matters. People's mental health matters. And that just so much diminishes the emotional and mental side of birth. And just, you know, basically they're saying, Hey, we don't care what happens to you. Um, you know, as long as we don't care what emotionally happens to you, as long as physically you're alive and your baby's alive at the end of the day. Yeah. I think you hit on a really important point, which is that trauma education is important for all birth professionals, but I think doulas specifically, and this is why my, my course is titled the trauma competent doula. Um, they're in this really unique position to be able to, um, take ownership over birth trauma and prevention and healing, um, and offer something that other professionals can. So as a therapist, you know, I'm sort of viewed as the person who treats the postpartum mental health issues and PTSD when it comes from birth trauma and things like that. But um, my clients have to reach out to me first. So, you know, sometimes I don't see clients and oftentimes I don't see clients until years after their birth trauma, which is really heartbreaking because that means they've been suffering for years when they could have received treatment really quickly. um, And a lot of that suffering could have been prevented. And so I think doulas have this opportunity to take on that responsibility, take that ownership with the knowledge and the expertise and actually create a huge difference in um, birth work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, I, I love that you have this course for doulas. I've gotten such a a more taste of like this, the side of birth trauma, like I, like I kind of mentioned as a doula. Um, so you having a course for it is great. I did do an actual doula certification and, mm-hmm. you know, birth trauma was something that was talked about, but it definitely was not a birth trauma course. I mean, the whole doula course was, was a weekend long, I think. So, um, I'm sure a doula, you know, competent, uh, trauma competency course could take a much longer than just a weekend. So, yeah. um, it's amazing. I think that it's so important. And like I said, it is so overlooked. It's so overlooked. And, mm-hmm. you know, people don't think about it often as being very important, but it is. So, yeah, it's also yeah. very uncomfortable to talk about birth trauma. And I think we avoid it as a society because we, we just don't like to think about it. It's hard. Right. I, I totally agree. So tell us about your birth story and kind of yeah. what um, happened to you that really led you down this path. Yeah, so I think for context, um, you know, my husband and I, we conceived our son via IVF in January 2020, actually fell exactly on our one year wedding anniversary, which was pretty cool. Um, But we had some fertility issues leading up to that. And um, as anybody who's been through like fertility struggles knows, there's lots of Um, highs and lows right like you kind of get your hopes up and then things might happen and there's a lot of disappointment a lot of loss of control a lot of grief and so probably the trauma started beyond like even before we got pregnant Um, but January 2020 was when we conceived and uh, my husband lives in the states and I live in Canada and so we decided we would wait until after the first trimester to um, visit each other and um And that fell around like March 2020, which, as you know, was the beginning of the pandemic. And so at that time, they closed the border and our flights got canceled and we didn't know, 
you know, when we would see each other. So, you know, there's this huge loss of control and I always define trauma as a loss of control. And so for context that, you know, the trauma really began then. And um, we, we, we were hopeful that the pandemic wasn't going to last forever. So we rebooked our flights in June. And I think in May, those flights got canceled as well. And so I actually went my entire pregnancy um, without seeing my husband. Um, He wasn't there for the birth of our child, which we actually anticipated, but it was still quite difficult having not spent any of that time leading up to the birth together. And then we didn't see each other afterwards. Um, And so, you know, we missed out on a lot of those like moments that you kind of are looking forward to and excited about. Um, And so I put a lot of emphasis on the birth and what that meant to us and, you know, what it was going to be like. I hired a birth photographer. She was also a doula, but I didn't hire her for doula services, which was a big regret that I had afterwards. But, you know, I wanted to capture these like really special moments and make sure that he was included as much as possible. Um, I actually worked with two midwives, so they sort of traded off week to week. Um, And one of them in particular was really understanding, really supportive. She was wonderful around that and really wanted to include him, made sure that he was available for calls and um, that I could record the heartbeat. And it was really um, supportive. And then the other one was sort of the opposite of that. She, during our appointments, she never talked about him. You know, if I brought him up, she wouldn't... um, even sort of acknowledge the things that I was saying. It was kind of strange and I was getting like weird vibes very early on, but we live in a small community and, you know, I wanted to go with the midwives because I felt like that was going to um, offer me just different support and things that I might need to prevent trauma, to prevent, um, you know, some of the physical complications that we worry about. Um, and, and so I didn't feel like there were better options at the time. Mm -hmm. I felt like that was sort of the, the only road I could go. And so I, I kind of overlooked some of those like red flags and just her behavior, her tone and how she was communicating with me. Um, and yeah, so then the pregnancy was very smooth. Um, I loved being pregnant right up until the end. Um, he's my first child, so it went longer than the due date. I think I delivered exactly at 41 weeks, but that last week was really, really difficult. Um, I had gained a lot of weight and was very, very uncomfortable. I started having uh, false labor contractions probably six days before I delivered, and they were quite intense, but they weren't regular. And I think it was about, yeah, six days before delivery, I stopped sleeping. So the contractions became so intense that I never got more than an hour of sleep um, in that six to three days before. And then three days before that went from one hour to no more than 12 minutes at a time. So by the time I actually delivered, I was exhausted. I, you know, I was very, very tired. Um, I wasn't thinking clearly, like I just did not have the capacity to make decisions. I was very, very vulnerable. Um, And, you know, going back to the pandemic, I didn't have all the supports there that I thought I was going to have. You know, I thought, you know, my mom would be there, my sister would be there, my best friend who had three children would be there. 
and I did have my mom, um, but I, I felt very um, alone in the experience. And so I called my midwife and she suggested that I try um, castor oil. So, you know, what she had said to me was that it'll, it'll either work and like put you into labor or um, it will do nothing. Were you giving and, birth at the hospital or were you um, having a home birth? At the hospital. Okay, gotcha. We did plan for a water birth, okay. but it didn't end up being that. Um, but yeah, so at the hospital, my husband felt safer with that. And so we decided, you know, to keep our stress levels low. Yeah. That's what we'll go with. Um, but yeah, so, it, so we tried the castor oil and she said it would either do nothing or it would work. And my hope was that, you know, if I could just get this baby out, I'll get some rest, which was really naive. But <laughs> it was my first baby. So that's what I thought I was getting myself into. Um, and so I went with it and uh, it did in intensify the contractions. They were coming more often, but they were still never regular. Mm -hmm. And so that same midwife, she came to sort of assess how I was doing. Um, she said, you know, you're not in labor. These are not labor contractions. They're not strong enough. They're not intense enough. They're not regular. And they felt pretty intense to me. So it all felt really like defeating to hear. Mm -hmm. And then she suggested that we do a membrane sweep. And she said that could speed things along. And I sort of felt, I guess like the word is desperate, right? Like I yeah. just really desperate for some sort of relief, some sort of rest. And so I agreed to that. Um, and I think at that point, I don't know what I started at, but I dilated to about five centimeters uh, with the membrane sweep. And so she suggested that we then go to the hospital and do um, have her break my water. And to me, that meant baby's coming. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm in, I'll do it. Um, and we got to the hospital the next day um, so I would have been exactly 41 weeks then. Um, we went in the morning, probably around 11 o'clock, and she broke my water, and that got me to seven centimeters. Um, and then I stayed at seven centimeters the rest of the time. And so, you know, I was sort of, um, I forgot to mention that I was using hypnobirthing for pain management. Okay. which I think actually worked very well. Um, but, um, but it was still quite uncomfortable. And, you know, I was doing all the things to try and speed things up and, and get the contractions going and, and, um, and get them more regular and nothing was really working. Um, I wasn't dilating any further. And I just was, it felt like this dark cloud in the birthing room, my midwife, you know, she, she wasn't um, overtly rude or um, um, there was nothing specific necessarily that she was doing at that time um, that really gave me cause for concern, but it just was the energy in the room. Like I just didn't feel comfortable. I remember feeling like I couldn't speak openly. I couldn't talk to my mom about how I was feeling while she was there. Um, and it sort of progressively got worse, but as it got worse, I was also getting more and more exhausted, more and more defeated. And so I had less emotional space to be able to confront what was happening. And so, you know, and it was, it wasn't big things. It was, it was the little things that sort of added up over time, right? So for example, I was laying on the hospital beds, 
laboring. My uh, birth photographer was doing her doula stuff, even though I hadn't <laughs> hired to do it. She was really helpful and just knew that I needed some more support. Um, and my midwife like took the, the hospital blanket off of me so that I was exposed. And it was things like that, that just, you know, there's already this like power difference between you and your health providers. And so then being completely exposed and I'm a very private person. So that was very uncomfortable for me. Um, but I tried to be okay with it because, I was trying to focus on other things, right? And so, and I was trying to trust her. I was trying to, you know, give her the benefit of the doubt that she knew what she was doing, that she was there to support me and not um, harm me. But it was, it was those moments that still stand out to me that, you know, why was that necessary? And so it just left me feeling even more vulnerable and having more of a hard time um, expressing my needs. And, so then, um, you know, I was sort of like in and out of the water at that time. And she just kept reminding me that I wasn't progressing. I wasn't in labor. Um, you were seven centimeters. <laughs> what do you mean you're not in labor? I was seven centimeters and I was going through transition and I was confused, right? Because this was the messaging I was getting, but I was, you know, I was vomiting. I was crying. I was going through all of those signs that your body's in transition but she continually sort of said this to me, which really undermined my own intuition. It undermined the trust I had in my body. And so there was a point where I said to my mom, what if I can't do this? And my mom said, that's never happened before. Like everybody delivers their baby, right? And that's not really what I meant. I, I meant, you know, what if I can't do this without like assistance, without help, without a C-section or whatever it might be? Um, and I didn't know what was going to come next. You know, another thing that I should mention is that because of COVID, a lot of the birth education was canceled. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get the education I probably needed. Um, a lot of it was like self-study online. And right. I just didn't absorb everything that probably would have been really helpful. And so I didn't know what was happening. And again, I was sort of in this position where I had to trust that she knew what she was doing. And um, I'm watching the clock tick and the hours go by and nothing is changing um, from her perspective. And so I just felt like I was failing. And, um, and so then, you know, she comes to me and she says, I think um, we need to talk about a change in plans. We've been dragging you through this the entire way. And that phrase has always stuck with me because I felt like, you know, I'm doing everything I can. I don't know what more like I can do to make this progress, but it really put the, the responsibility on me mm -hmm. and made me feel like there was something I was supposed to be doing that I wasn't doing. Right. Um, and, and so then I said, well, what do we do then? And she suggested I get an epidural, which I did um, because I didn't think, you know, I didn't have the energy. I hadn't eaten. I hadn't slept. I just didn't have the energy to keep going. Right. And so she said, if you get the epidural, it will give you some rest. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, but that was also not the case. <laughs> and so um, there was a short period where I did get to have like a popsicle and uh, it wasn't very long before um, she started giving me Pitocin and I, the contraction started intensifying. So there wasn't really much rest as it was promised to me. Um, 
and the epidural uh, didn't work properly. So like the freezing went higher, it didn't go lower. So it didn't actually give me any pain relief. They didn't start the drip. Um, and I, but I wasn't able to get up and move around or maybe I could have, but I didn't, they didn't encourage that. Um, yeah, they gave me the epidural and they kept sort of checking to see where the freezing was and it was still too high. Um, so they didn't start the drip. I didn't get any pain relief from that, but they did give me Pitocin. So I was, um, having contractions one after the other, very intense. Um, and still there was just no movement. Like my baby just was not, um, progressing. He wasn't moving, but they started to become concerned about his, um, heart rate decelerating and not coming back up as quickly as they wanted. But none of this was being communicated to me at the time. So I didn't know that there was any concern about his well-being. All I knew was that, again, like I still just wasn't doing what they were expecting. Mm -hmm. And she said to me then, like, if you don't do this, then we're gonna have to um, call the OB on, on call and have them come in and do assisted. And so again, it was just like this messaging that there was something that I wasn't doing properly or I wasn't doing right. And um, ultimately that's what happened. They had to call the OB. Um, they used forceps to deliver my son. It was terrifying. Um, you know, like I said, there wasn't a lot of education. So I knew what forceps were, but I didn't know anything else. Like I didn't know what that procedure looked like. Um, and I couldn't see what was happening. And so, you know, one thing that I think is really important for birth professionals to understand is that your what you perceive to be happening and what is actually happening, your mind actually absorbs that in the exact same way. So if you have this image in your mind about what's going on, that even if it's not accurate, it can still create a traumatic response. And so to me, you know, I'm my perception of what was happening was based on the sounds and my um, physical pain and uh, and that's pretty much it and so it was quite horrific what I was imagining was going on and still you know I'm kind of learning more about my birth experience and realizing oh like that actually isn't what happened but mm -hmm. um the forceps felt like a physical trauma, like it felt like an assault. And I remember saying, stop, stop, stop. And they were like, we can't stop, like your baby is coming. But at that point, I had no idea that he was progressing, right? That he was actually coming down the birth canal. Um, so it was kind of shocking to me too, to hear that. I thought I was still at the same spot it was like two hours before. And so, um, so they did use the forceps. Uh, the OB did an exceptional job in terms of, you know, there wasn't a lot of bruising and it was all in the right places. Um, you know, I think she did what she, the best that she could have possibly done under those circumstances. Um, but nobody was communicating to me what was happening. Um, and I think that, you know, when you go for an ultrasound, when you go for a pap test, they say, you're about to feel something cold. And, uh, you know, now we're going to insert the forceps. And, and, um, and I think that would have been really helpful just to sort of challenge some of those images that were being created in my mind. Was um, there ever like even a stop to even give you full informed consent, like before the OB did it, Hey, 
this is, you know, the tool I'm using showed you the tool beforehand. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to place it. Here are the risks. Here are the benefits. Here's what happens if this doesn't work. Like, was there even true informed consent? No, not, not to that extent. I didn't see them. Um, no, it was sort of like, this is what we need to do. If you don't do this, then you have to go for a C-section. Right. But that's not informed consent. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, that's, that's just saying, telling you basically what is going to happen. And they, Mm -hmm. you know, these things need to be explained to people because it's just like you mentioned, like it would have been less traumatic had you actually been walked through it and known what to expect and known what was happening to you. So much Mm -hmm. birth trauma can be prevented. Like you said, the loss of control, you don't know what's happening to you. That's traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if it had been an emergency and they didn't have time to explain all of those things, again, I think like having a doula there who's standing beside you, who's sort of explaining it as it's happening would do the same thing. Right. right? Even if I wasn't able to necessarily give full consent, but I didn't have that. And so it was, um, it was awful. (laughs) to put it simply I think you know I've talked to clients who've had similar deliveries with forceps and they have not been traumatized by it in the way that I was and I think it can go either way for Mm -hmm. sure and for some people you know it is life-saving or it can be really um, beneficial but I think the big piece that was missing for me was like the education the informed consent understanding what was happening Um, and and then afterwards it was more of the same right so um, I did get a, an episiotomy. I said, no, they said we have to do it anyway. And so I agreed. And, you know, they asked if I wanted a catheter, same thing. I said, no, thank you. They said, you know, it'll be better for you in the long run. And so I agreed. And so it's not really informed consent because there was this, this sort of like expectation that this is the right choice. And if you don't, you're either inconveniencing yourself or you're inconveniencing us, or it's going to be worse for you in the end. Um, So I, I never had the opportunity to make a decision and have somebody say like, okay, that's what we'll do. It was always, you know, I said no to something and then they um, forced you into it. Yeah. 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 And so, so that continued afterwards. And then, um, yeah. And I think the other thing that really stands out to me was I had created this birth plan. And I remember talking to my midwives beforehand saying, do I really need a birth plan or can I just like show up and, you know, see how it goes? And they were like, no, you probably should like put some thought into this. And so I did. And then every decision that I made on my birth plan was ignored or it was um, altered because of the circumstances. And so some of those things were, you know, after the forceps delivery, my son was taken right away and the pediatric doctor on call had checked him out, made sure he was okay, came over to me and said, your son is beautiful and he's healthy and everything's fine. And the midwife then took that time to do all her um, measurements and weight and all of that stuff, but I still hadn't seen my son and, and it wasn't totally necessary for her to do it at that point. It wasn't but at I think, all. Yeah, but it was, it was late and it was Sunday, which was the end of her um, shifts on call. And so I think in her mind, it made sense to just get it over with and then she could bring the baby to me. Um, but I missed, you know, that golden hour and, um, and that, you know, these, these are things that, again, it's like those decisions that I made were ignored. Um, and so it felt like that control was taken away from me more than once. 
Um, and then the other things that happened were that, um, the, um, placenta didn't, um, deliver on its own. And so while they were checking over my son, the OB actually had her hands inside my uterus was digging it out. And I felt like it was excruciating pain. Again, I'm saying, please stop, stop. And the epidural, like it had never been started. And so at that point they decided to give me fentanyl. So by the time they did bring my son over, I just wasn't even totally there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that really stuck with me too. Yeah. Like I, I remember it very clearly. Um, I remember how I felt seeing him for the first time, but it also felt like I was a bit detached from that experience. Yeah. And yeah, so no, it was, go ahead. That's all just, it's so valid to hear like how you feel about it. And we can never always control every aspect of birth, but the thing is, even if birth goes down paths that are off of your birth plan, you need to feel educated and empowered. And like, you're making these decisions. It's a, com- it's a conversation. It's not, you know, medical providers telling you what to do and what is going to happen. It's explaining to you, giving you informed consent and allowing you to make decisions. If you say no for something, no is a complete answer. Like, mm-hmm no means no. And it, that goes for anything. If somebody says, Hey, your baby's heart rate is dangerously low. And I want to vacuum out your baby or use forceps to get your baby out. Um, as long as you know, the risks and benefits you're given informed consent and you say, no, I'm not saying that that's the best decision, but no means no. And, um, it sounds like that just was not honored or at least it was, Mm -hmm. you know, and and at that point you're probably so tired Mm -hmm. that for you to even like fight back for the things that you want, you're tired, you're loopy, like, it's, it's so hard. I've seen it as a doula so many times where, you know, by the time you give birth, you're exhausted. The last thing you want to do is argue. So you're kind of like, just do what you want. And that's Mm -hmm. traumatic in itself too. Yeah. Well, and the other pieces, you can go into that like fight, flight, or freeze response too. Right. And if you know that you like, when you're in such a vulnerable state, you just don't have the ability to fight back. And like you said, you're exhausted. And so the next sort of natural response is to freeze. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that means you just give in, Mm -hmm. um, even if that's not necessarily what you want. And so it might look like you're consenting, but really it's just a trauma response. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so yeah, I think a lot of that was going on at the time for me, but I didn't even have the ability to process it. And again, now it's quite late. I think he was delivered at 11.34 PM. So basically we had been there all day and, um, and everybody was tired, I think, and uh, including myself. And so then they bring him to me, everything's happy. Um, you know, they cleaned me up and moved me into my room and left me with my baby. My mom went home, um, and he was in the, the bassinet. And I remember it, like, I wasn't even physically able to move at that point. Like everything was really quite tender and sore and it was, um, very difficult, um, probably even because of the, the epidural, I'm not sure, but I wasn't able to get up and, and, um, even hold him. And so I was just sort of sitting there trying to like pull the bassinet closer so I could get a good look at him. And the nurse came in and said, do you want to hold him? And I was like, can I? Like, it just didn't even really occur to me, like, that it, that I had those choices, right? 
um, I was still sort of waiting at that point for somebody to say, okay, this is what happens next, because that's how it had been all along. And so, you know, looking back, it's really clear to me that like, I just had no trust in myself um, by the time he was born. And, um, and so I did hold him all night and I didn't sleep that night and um, which wasn't good given the fact that I hadn't really slept in the six days prior. Um, and they discharged me the following morning um, and I got home and you're in sort of that, for me at least, I was in that like honeymoon phase where, you know, I was quite happy, I was excited, I was in love, things were good, but it was very uh, obvious to me that this was like a hormonal um, response, that it wasn't going to last and that things were going to get dark pretty quickly. And um, I would say within the first like 48 hours of being home, I started having hallucinations, um, mostly auditory hallucinations. And it wasn't overly distressing to me because, you know, being a psychologist, I sort of knew what was happening, but I kept thinking, you know, if this happened to somebody else who didn't understand what was going on, it might be really alarming. And, and it was things like, like I could hear the forceps, the sound of the forceps and the metal, and that was really distressing. And then sometimes um, at night it would be children laughing and just sounds like new weren't present in our home. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a lot of sleep deprivation that was triggering that. And so my anxiety was super high. Um, I started having panic attacks pretty quickly. Um, after the birth, after getting home, every time I put my son in his car seat, I would have a panic attack thinking that he was choking, mm. which I connected back to the fact that, and I didn't mention this, that he had the cord wrapped around his neck twice. Um, and, and I did know that after he was delivered. Um, and so I, I was having these really significant panic attacks. I refused to drive anywhere, go anywhere alone with him. It was like really quite debilitating. I'm a yeah. very independent person. Um, and it, it really caught me off guard how much I, um, how afraid I was to do like basic things. Um, and at the same time, not wanting to uh, inconvenience anybody or, or be too dependent on anyone, um, feeling like this is my responsibility, I have to be able to figure this out. And so, um, so it was quite a struggle. And um, it took me probably about a month, maybe longer to be able to talk to my husband about what had happened um, during our birth. And he knew that, you know, it wasn't a great experience for me, but he just sort of gave me time and reminded me that um, when I was ready, I, I could talk about it with him. And I, I finally did. And that was extremely helpful, but it was really, really painful and difficult to relive it. Um, I received the birth photos from a birth photographer and didn't look at them for almost a year, um, which I think is very common when people go through birth trauma that they don't want to look at those photos. Um, and so it took me a long time to recover, but part of my recovery has been uh, making meaning of it and, and yeah. you know, helping other people work through their birth trauma and also developing this course so that, you know, I, I can feel like I'm contributing to um, this world in a positive way and, and preventing it from happening to other people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you were able to take such a wild birth story and something that was so traumatic for you and turn it into something so good. And 
you know, even if one doula takes it and prevents somebody from having a traumatic birth experience, Mm -hmm. like that is so worth it. So it's amazing. I think the, you know, the best things come out of us. I hate to say like our pain can always just be used for a really, really good purpose. And I'm not, Mm -hmm. not to say that, you know, it's good that people go through really hard and painful and traumatic things, but it's Mm -hmm. so good when you see somebody who struggles with something and is able to turn it into something so good and help other people. So they don't have to relive the same thing that happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how long postpartum were you when you decided, Hey, I'm going to make a course for birth workers, for doulas to help them help other women not experience what I did. Yeah, I actually started developing a different course around relationships before my son was born. And then afterwards I was still working on it, but I just couldn't get any traction. Like I obviously I had my hands full, um, but it just wasn't coming to me. And so I took a break from that. And, you know, in taking that break, I realized that I needed to pivot, that this was actually the course that I wanted to make. Um, And so I started working on it pretty quickly after the birth, probably around like four months is when I started coming up with the ideas. And, um, but I've been working on it consistently. He's now almost two, he'll be two in October. So it's been a long journey, but it started probably four months afterwards that that idea kind of came to me. Okay. And when did you release it? It's launching now. So we'll be starting our first cohort in September. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And what is, give us kind of a rundown, I guess, of, I guess the layout of it, you know, how, how long is it? Is it, um, self, you know, self-paced and is it videos? Is it more of reading kind of what's the layout of it? Yeah, it's not self-paced. It's six weeks. So it starts in September and there's sort of three components. So there's the live teaching part, which is also recorded. So if for some reason um, you wouldn't be able to attend that session, um, you'd be able to get the replay. Um, But then the second part is a group discussion. So, you know, one of the things that I'm um, aware of as a trauma therapist is that we all bring our trauma into the birth room. So whether you're a birth professional or you're the birthing person or you're the the supportive partner, uh, everybody has experienced some type of trauma in their lifetime. Um, And that comes into the birthing room, even if you're not the person giving birth. And so um, a big part of it will be sort of discussing the concepts around trauma and applying that to your own experience so that um, the doulas will be able to develop a better understanding of how their trauma shows up with their clients. Um, And then the third component is sort of a Q and A. And so it's broken down into um, three sessions per week, one hour each session um, for six weeks. And the only part that's recorded is the the educational course part in the beginning of the week. Um, So the rest of it, you would have to attend live. Okay. I, Mm -hmm. I love that because I love how you said, um, as much as we hear, you know, it's called the trauma competent doula and we hear about Mm -hmm. birth trauma. I think our number one thing we think of is, okay, this course is going to teach me how to protect my clients from birth trauma. And while Mm -hmm. that is true, like you mentioned as a doula or as an, as a birth worker, we carry our own trauma in. And that's Mm -hmm. so true because I mean, I even know I've had a very traumatic delivery as a nurse with a cord Mm -hmm. avulsion, which is where the the cord snaps off the 
or the mm-hmm. umbilical cord snaps off the placenta while the placenta is still inside. Mm-hmm. How do you get a placenta out after that? Mm-hmm. So very traumatic. And even still, if I see a provider like really tugging on a placenta, trying to deliver it, I like panic inside mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm like, oh my God, that cord is going to snap and it's going to be really bad. Um, so it's so true as birth yeah. workers, we 100% carry trauma that we need to work through or else we can reflect that onto our clients. We can mm-hmm. say things and sway their decisions because yeah. something maybe was traumatic for us. Um, so I love that that's heavily focused because that's, it's, yeah. it's very true. Well, and the trauma you're describing would fall into like vicarious trauma, like witnessing trauma in yeah. somebody else, or even hearing birth trauma stories can create a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like a lot of it is stored in our subconscious. And so, you know, the way that we cope with trauma in our own lives is going to be reflected in the choices that we make and the the ways that we communicate um, to our clients their choices and so the the goal really is just to develop an awareness of it when you're aware of it then it's no longer in your subconscious it becomes part of your conscious awareness and so you can recognize when that's coming out in your conversations or in your practice with your clients and and make different choices if it's necessary right like take a step back or um, you know, even just reflect on how you're presenting certain things and, and making corrections, right? Like we all make mistakes. And I think most birth professionals are well-meaning. They're not intending to create trauma for their clients. Um, but when you're aware of how that can play out and how your own experiences can influence, um, the birth experience for your clients, then you can, um, correct it. If you do catch yourself in a situation where you might be, um, having an unintended effect. Right. And is, is this course for, you know, I know you said like birth workers, but it could be, you know, doulas, labor and delivery nurses, even if like midwives, um, wanted to take it really anybody who is dealing with birth. Yes, exactly. It's very much directed towards doulas, but it it applies to all birth professionals. Mm -hmm. All right. That is amazing. Anything else that you, you know, want to share about the course, um, about what's included, what, you know, people kind of learn in it. Um, it's all encompassing, right? So competency is definitely the focus. So the idea is to get like a deep dive into trauma, not a surface level, um, birth trauma 101. And so it's a small group. Um, it's limited to 25 people for that reason, because it's going to be a very intimate conversation, uh, intimate discussions, and not that you'll have to share anything that you're not comfortable with, but, um, but I definitely want it to be personalized. And we'll be talking about um, clients that you might have. If you're new to doula work, you're still a good fit for the course because that means that you'll learn this stuff very early on and get to implement it right away as opposed to having to change your practice or alter your practice once you've been in the field for a while. Um, But if you're an experienced doula, then obviously you're going to have lots of those experiences to share with the group. That'll be super valuable. So um, all ends of the spectrum uh, are welcome. And I also have um, scholarships for BIPOC and LGBTQIA um, plus individuals. So if that's something that they're interested in, they can just contact me directly. Okay, that is amazing. So your, um, your first one starts in September. Do you have one planned out for after that? Or will you kind of just, do you know when the next one will be? <laughs> I expect in the new year, but I haven't set an exact date yet. Okay. Awesome. So where can people um, find you either social media or website and find this course at? 
The best place to go is um, traumadulacourse.com. Okay. So that's where you'll find all the information. Um, or you can find me on Instagram. And my handle is Luna Therapy Life, which is my um, therapy practice. Perfect. I will link um, your website and your Instagram in the show notes for anybody. So just scroll down. You should see them both. You can click on them um, and you can find Dallas. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story and how amazing you've been able to turn something that was traumatic for you into just such an amazing course that's going to, I know it's going to go far, help so many other birth workers learn and prevent trauma from happening. Um, so I really, really think that that's amazing. I'm so excited to see how it goes to hear about it. Um, I think it's going to be great. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing everything with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. One thing we failed to mention during the recording is that Dallas has actually given us a discount code. So if you are a listener and a doula or a birth worker, and this course is something that you are interested in or would want to take, go to the link in the show notes, use code WHATTHEBUMP at checkout, and it will give you $100 off of the trauma competency course. Again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.